Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Coolangatta podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planning and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us for Dinner with Jesus, a series exploring transformative mealtime encounters found in the Gospels. Together, we will discover the depths of these moments, revealing Jesus' mission of redemption through love and grace. We pray this message is a blessing. excited guys so excited to be here this morning friends we get the privilege as a church of being a church with a mission statement now here's what it is uh, new life exists to see more people become more like Jesus by planting and leading local thriving churches and part of what that means is that we actually if you want to see local thriving churches led and planted we got to see leaders rise up and so we get the joy of a church of continuously seeing people who just say hey look I'd like to give it a go my hands up I don't know but I'm discerning a call I'd like to see what that looks like and we get the joy as a church of getting to support and encourage uplift and build up these people with the boldness to put the hand up and say, God, I'm here. Would you use me? And so this morning, I get the pleasure of introducing the amazing Reese Graves to come and share the word for the first time. Would you put your hands together as he comes forward? Thank you. Well, good morning, church. Uh, if I've never had the privilege of meeting you before, as Dave said, my name is Reese Graves. And uh, I do have the privilege of being able to serve here at New Life Cool and Gutter. And so under Pastor Scott this morning, I have the blessing of being able to come and bring you guys the word. And so I pray that this word would be a blessing. I pray that it would be encouraging. But ultimately, I pray that it would bring us to a place where we as a church would walk out these doors with our eyes fixed upon Christ Jesus, our King, our Saviour and our hope. And so if you're new to church this morning or you're a regular and you haven't been able to make it over the last couple of weeks, we're actually going through a beautiful little series called Dinner with Jesus, where we as a church are actually unpacking these beautiful yet powerful moments throughout the New Testament where Jesus would actually meet with believers and unbelievers alike in moments that were engaged with food and wisdom. And so I highly recommend, if you haven't been able to listen to all of them, to hop online and hop onto the New Life podcast and catch up on them, as both Pastor Scott and Dave beautifully unpacked some nice little sermons uh, throughout the New Testament earlier on. And so as we enter into the fourth week of this series, you guys are going to be stuck with me this morning, but um, we're going to be unpacking probably one of the most well-known miracles in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, this miracle next to the resurrection of Jesus is the only miracle that we see recorded in all four Gospels. And so the miracle that we're going to be touching up on this morning is Jesus feeding 5,000. And so I'm going to be unpacking it from the book of Mark. And so if you have your Bibles or you're a technology person and you love to look at your phone, if you want to go to Mark 6, 30 to 34, we'll read through it together and we'll pray. Pray into this word and then we'll begin to unpack it as a family. And so Mark 6, from 30 onwards, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. And he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. And so by this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. And it is already very late. Send the people away so that they can go around to the surrounding countryside and villages by themselves, to eat, uh, by themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, well, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. 
Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to all, uh, directed them to have all the people sit down in the groups of green grass, and they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were all satisfied. And the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. So we'll quickly pray before we step into this word. So I'll just ask that you'd close your eyes. So dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. And we thank you for your truth this morning. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me. Lord, that we would walk away this morning with this word imprinted on our hearts. Lord, knowing your word and knowing your truth. And we're grateful for this word, Father God. And so we just want to give it all to you this morning. And we lay it at your feet. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but have you ever just had one of those days where your capacity to deal with humans kind of reaches its peak? And it's not saying that you don't like people, you don't like communicating with people, but you just have one of those days where your emotional capacity just overflows. And the idea of talking to people is just like, no. I, I just want to be alone, and I just, I'm done, right? And so just a little bit of context. When I was 22 years old, I used to work at a place called Dracula's Cabaret Restaurant. Now, the ones that laughed, you know exactly what I'm talking about, <laughs> right? And you can see God's grace is good because I'm standing on stage. For those who don't know what it is, essentially it is a restaurant where I would have to dress up and wear makeup and pretend to be a vampire. It's the lowest point of my life, Right? <laughs> And then on top of that, I'd have to then run out 560 oh, meals to 560 people, right, over the course of two hours. It was three courses, so it was about 1,500 meals. And on top of that, the 560 people, 80% of them were probably so highly intoxicated they don't remember a lot of the night. And so I particularly remember this one night I worked, we usually finish between one and two, but this one particular night I was just done with people, right? So I did what any normal person does. I took my makeup off, which sounds weird, and I went home to be alone. And so it's about 2 o'clock in the morning, and, and I pull up to my house, and as I pull in to the driver, and this is when I was living with mum and dad, and there was no interest rates, it was great. We lived in these units, and, and the carport ran up along the left, and then there was units along the right. And so as I pull in, there's like unit one, there's this guy just standing at the front. And I thought, oh, this is pretty weird, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. And, and so as I pull in, I could see that he's kind of like staring at me. And so I kind of just ignored him, I pulled in, and then I reversed my car into the car park, which just happened to be at the front of his. And as I pull in... I can see him still staring at me. I thought, oh, this is so weird. And so I did what any normal person does. I, I pull out my phone, and I'm just going to pretend to be on my phone for a couple of minutes. <laughs> I'll stare at it, and hopefully when I look up, he won't be there. And this is before iPhones. I was playing Snake or something. And after two minutes, sure enough, I look up, and he's just staring at me. And I thought, oh, this is not good. And so I'm going to get out of my car. I'll acknowledge him, walk to my house. I just want to be alone. And so I get out, lock my car, and sure enough, I hear this, hey, man, how you going? So yeah, good man, how you going? He's like, yeah, good, my name's Rory, what's yours? I was like, ah, oh, Reese. He goes, oh, have you ever heard of the new PlayStation 4s? And so just to give a little context, PlayStation 4 back then, they were like rare to come by, the most elite gaming system ever and super expensive. And so I was like, yeah, man, heard of it, can't afford it uh, and can't find them. And he's like, yeah, man, I picked one up last week. I was like, awesome, dude. He goes, do you want to come in and play? And I just thought, dude, there is not a chance in the entire world that I'm coming to hang out with you after my night. And so I looked at him and I said, sure. 
And in that moment, my mum and dad's disappointment would have been like, what have we taught him? And so I'm walking in behind this guy into his unit and I'm sizing him up and I'm like, oh, he's like mid-30s. I could probably take him if I need to get out or at least wrestle him to get my head out the window and scream to my dad. And so I walk in and I sit down on the couch and he's excitedly running around. He's setting up the TV, he throws me the remote. And then he walks over to the door and he closes the curtains and I was like, oh, this is not good. And then he looks at me with the straightest face and he goes, this is the best part. And then he like turns off the lights and I thought, oh, made it to 22. I didn't think this is how I was going to go. I was so stressed. And then he comes and sits down and we play PlayStation. I play it horribly so I can get this night over and done with. After 10 minutes, I'm like, dude, this was epic. We should do it another time. Not really. And we're sitting there and I'm like, thanks anyway. And so he's like, no, no worries, dude. And he sits there and then he kind of pauses for a second. And then he looks at me and I was like, oh, this is weird. And and this guy, mid-30s, just looks at me and he breaks down and he starts crying. And I'm sitting there like, oh my goodness, what is going on? And he just weeps. And then he looks at me and says, dude, can I hug you? And I was like, sure, man. And so this guy grips me, like I'm talking like rips me and pulls me in like we're long lost brothers. And he's just weeping on my shoulders and I'm doing awkward putts. And I'm like, what's going on here, right? And he's just weeping. And after like two minutes of hugging, and two minutes in hugging time is so awkward, right? He peels himself off and he just looks at me and says, dude, I'm so depressed. I'm so lonely. And I'm like, look, dude, I'll be honest. I said, I've had moments where I felt like you. I've had moments where I've just wanted to throw in the towel. I said, my saving grace for me literally was seeking God. It was me going to a church and trying to pursue who God is and get around people who would actually uplift me and encourage me. And so he looks at me and he's like, man, if I walked into church, I'd burst into flames. I was like, dude, if I had a dollar for every time someone said that to me, I probably would have had a dollar because he was actually the first, but there were more people. (laughs) And so he's like, and and look, I wish I could tell you that this story ended great. I wish I could tell you that the dude repented then and there, we baptised him in his sink, and the life went on. But the reality is, is, is I don't know what happened to him. There was a moment of vulnerability where I was absolutely done with, dude, done with people in general, right? And I just wanted to be alone, and yet God opened up this door for me to step into someone's life who was struggling. And all I did was plant seeds, probably not even the best. I probably didn't even give him the full gospel, right? But all I know is I planted seeds, and I have no idea what came from it. And that just came from a place where I was willing to step out and be used by God in a time where I just was over it. Right? And so this actually brings us to our story. And so just to give a little bit of context as to how we got to the passage that we've just read through, Jesus has essentially sent out his disciples two by two throughout all of Galilee, and this would be like their trial run. Because we know a short time later, we actually see the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so he sends them out, and they were walking everywhere, and now they've just come back to be with each other and back to be with Christ. And this brings us to verse 30. And it says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And so we see that the disciples have returned to ultimately be together, but to debrief with Christ and everything that they've done and taught, right? And so we know when Jesus actually sent them out, he gave them the authority to drive it in pure spirits, to lay hands on the sick and be healed, right? And ultimately, this would have then led to them proclaiming the good news of Christ. And so I say, like, we as a church, we believe heavily in the spiritual moves of God, amen? whether it be laying hands on people for healing or praying for someone and receiving words. And as long as we test all things according to Scripture, they're so beautiful, These things should always bring us to a place where we as a church are pointing people to the greatest gift that we could receive, and that is salvation through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so in verse 31, as we continue on, 
them because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. And so we know at this point, look, they would have walked absolutely everywhere, right? It's not like they had Uber back in the days, and donkeys would have been way too expensive. And so they walked from town to town. And we know that when they walked in, it's not like they were received with open arms everywhere they went. They would have come up against a lot of conflict. And so they'd walked everywhere, they finally get back together, and these guys are done. They're fried, they're ready to just chill out, but we see that they actually don't even have the opportunity to eat food because people are still pressing them, they're coming and going. And so Jesus, after seeing the needs of the disciples, says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so Jesus sees the needs for his disciples, right? Jesus would know the human capacity better than we would know it. And if I'm honest, I think within the cultural that context that we live in, we are a culture that is so heavily invested into things like work, into things like study and even full-time parenting that we actually have little regard for our own well-being. And um, I think this is something that we need to look at. Because even when we finally do have a little bit of downtime, we get so heavily invested into things like Netflix and social media, online news articles. Anyone guilty of that? I'm massively guilty of that. I can't help it. I'll see something that catches my eye. I'm looking at all this stuff that's happening with Israel and Hamas. Without even realising, I'm 30 minutes deep and I'm looking at an article on like the top five best styles to wear with Crocs. It's heavy. <laughs> if you wear Crocs, just know Jesus forgives you. I'll save you a click. There wasn't any good styles. But I'm not saying, hey, don't watch Netflix, don't go on social media. What I am trying to point out here is that there is a common theme within Scripture when Jesus goes to a solitary place or when he invites his disciples to go to a solitary place, right? It's to commune with God. And this is massive, right? Because God is ultimately whom we get our rest from. And so the question I want to ask us this morning is, are we making time to commune with God? Are we making time to be alone? And are we finding rest in him? You know, for someone like myself, I, I struggle with the whole just sitting in a quiet room and praying within my head. I can't do it. My brain is wired weirdly and my thought pattern doesn't allow that. But what I have worked out is for me, I love to pray out aloud. As as though I'm speaking now is how I like to pray. The only problem is if I do it in public, it is just the weirdest looking thing. And so I've worked out, hey, if I go for a walk and I put on headphones, I can actually pray and people just assume that I'm on the phone, which is good. And so for me, I just walk for three kilometres maybe two, I don't think I could make three, and I just pray it aloud. And this is how I commune with God, and this is what brings me to a place where I ultimately find rest in him. And so, like I said, the question I want to leave us with is, are we doing this as a church? Are we really making time for God? You know, Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so we continue on from verse 32. And so they went away by themselves into a boat, into a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognised them, ran on from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And so the disciples in Christ, essentially to get away from the hordes of people, decide, you know what, we're going to hop in a boat and we're just going to go away to a solitary place. But verse 33 shows us it's not exactly like that because it says, many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. I can't help but put myself in this situation and think, you finally get into a boat, Right, you've just dealt with people, you're starving and you're hungry, you just want to hang out with your disciples and debrief, you want to just talk to Jesus, ultimately. And he's like, let's get in a boat, and you're like, yes, finally. And so you get in a boat and you're going upstream and you can't help it. As the boat's going upstream, you look left or right, depending on which way they're going, and there are people just on the shore just running and just staring at you. At that point, I'd be like, surely not. Like, come on, are you kidding me? Right? And so we see so much so that when they actually get to this place that's meant to be desolate, 
There's actually a crowd of people, and we know that the numbers are huge, right? There would have been a huge crowd of people already there waiting for them. And so they pulled the boat ashore, and it says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Out of every ounce of emotion that Christ could have shown in this moment, Christ looks upon him and he has compassion. And so what I want to note here is that the word for compassion in the Greek is actually only ever used for Christ in the New Testament. And the Greek word that is used is a Greek word called splachnon. Now, if you're Greek and I pronounced it wrong, I apologize. I'm a baby at this. But the reason this is important is because what he's actually doing is it refers to the visceral area, which is just a fancy way of saying like your guts. And what this actually shows us is that Christ had a compassion that reached a level that was far deeper than the human understanding of compassion. You know, John MacArthur writes on this very topic while covering the sermon, and he says, Jesus Christ, though God, was not coldly calculating and analytical in terms of the needs of men. He was passionate. He felt pain. And in his own heart, the Hebrew always identifies the emotion in the bowels or the visceral area because anxiety, trauma, compassion, and emotion affects our stomachs. And so Jesus felt genuine pain. Jesus felt genuine emotion. We see this pain when Jesus stands over the city of Jerusalem in Matthew, and he says, How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not? Or when he was standing next to the grave of Lazarus, the one whom he loved, and he weeps. Essentially, Christ looks out and he sees that there are people who are in a state of being spiritually lost, confused, and in need of guidance. And see, the thing is, all these people would have fallen under some sort of religious sect in the time, whether it had been the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the chief priests. And yet Christ looks at these people and sees that they are vulnerable and lacking any leadership that is guiding them towards a life of godliness and holiness. And so the result of this is this, that Christ actually begins to teach them many things. And in the other accounts of the Gospels, he also lays hands and heals many. When I look at this, this just moves me. Because I look and I think, man, Christ is looking at a lot of people. And all the people that he would have been staring at, no doubt would have been absolutely riddled in sin. Would have done evil things, have done terrible things, as we all have. And yet the reflection of Christ in this moment is compassion. And so I truly believe that we as believers within the church actually should be mirroring this in the way that we live. So... The thing is, is, do we actually have compassion for the lost, for the broken and the poor? I think a fair question to ask is, do we actually have compassion like we should? Because if I'm honest, I don't, not like I should. And so the question is, well, how do I actually have compassion? How do I grow my compassion? And the answer is simple. We just got to be like Jesus, right? Well, how do we become like Jesus? We read his word. We delve into the scriptures we understand it and we learn about the character of God and we learn about the character of Christ. And then we make time to go and commune with God in private moments and build in our relationship with him. And ultimately then the work of the Holy Spirit will begin to transform our lives and ultimately bring us to a place where we will start to look at people as God looks at his people. Lost. So we see that Jesus, this is how Jesus sees his people. He sees them as lost. We see that he has compassion upon them. And it's beautiful. And so now we know that it actually becomes to a point where it's actually later in the day. And so from verse 35 it says, By this time it was late in the day, 
And so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. And it is already very late. Send the people away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and village and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, well, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? So what I want us to notice is, number one, that the disciples tell Christ, like, hey, it's late in the day. You can imagine they're fried. Still haven't actually been able to eat or debrief with Christ. So they say, can you just send these people away? Send them to the surrounding villages, whatever, do whatever, let them go and, have eat. Uh, let them go and find food. And yet Jesus actually looks at them and he gives them a command. And his response to them is, you give them something to eat. And so we know that Christ in this moment is referring to physical food and he's commanding them to feed the crowd that's in front of them. But also through this miracle, he's actually teaching them a deeper truth that not only we should feed people with physical food, but spiritual food. You know, we see in John 6, 3, 5, that Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It's beautiful, right? What does it mean? Jesus is using the miracle to illustrate a profound spiritual truth. An anonymous reformer actually quotes on this, and it's a beautiful way of unpacking it. And it says, Just as bread sustains physical life, Jesus is the source of eternal life. He offers spiritual nourishment and satisfies the deepest longings of the heart. And by believing in him and accepting his truth, we can only ever find lasting fulfillment. And when we have a restored relationship with Christ, uh, we, we can only ever find lasting fulfillment when we have a restored relationship with Christ. Look, we actually are called to feed the lost, the broken, and the homeless with physical food, and it's a beautiful thing. And when we do, it's amazing and we glorify God, but that is only going to sustain them for a day. But if we actually begin to feed people with spiritual food, they have a chance of being able to step into a relationship with Christ and ultimately have eternal life. And so that this means that we as believers, we're actually not called to sit idle while people in our communities get fed off worldly things, And we see this heavily within our culture, that people are being fed from things like social media or progressive movements within the communities that are leading people away from godliness and away from holiness and ultimately leaving people in droves empty. And this is why statistically, depression is at an all-time high within the Western culture. Did you know we're actually commanded to go out and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded? And so the question is, well, what does feeding the lost look like for us? Please understand, I'm not telling you to go home, pull out a world map, stick it on the wall, blindfold and throw a dart. And wherever it lands, God be with you. But it starts with the little things of like, how do we operate within our workplace? How do we operate within our family life? How do we operate when we step out of church and we go into a public community? You know, Galatians 5 is actually a beautiful indicator as to how we ought to be walking. You know, Galatians 5, 22 to 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are actually genuine biblical truths that I have to continuously bring myself back to. When I'm at work, I have to look at those and go, am I displaying these in the way that I work? Am I displaying these in the way that I'm a husband to my wife? Am I displaying these in the way that I'm a father to my child? Who's going through terrible twos at the moment, right? So peace is, is a hard one, but I'm working on it, right? But these are genuine biblical truths that we have to continuously invest into our everyday lives and look at. And so we proclaim the gospel. Sorry, sorry. Uh, we as a body of believers 
We actually need to let God's word dictate our culture and not let the culture of this world dictate how we walk with God. And I'm going to say that again because I believe it's very important because we're seeing the opposite in a lot of areas. We as believers need to let God's word dictate our culture and not let the culture of this world dictate how we walk with God. We as a body of believers, we need to proclaim the gospel. We need to let the world know of Christ and what he's accomplished on the cross. And when I say stuff like a thunder, people think, well, man, I'm not like Pastor Scott. I'm not great when it comes to theology. And so when it comes to talking about the Bible and the scriptures, I I don't know what I'm doing. When it comes to like conversing with random strangers, I I can't speak eloquently like Pastor Dave. It's just not, it's not me. And, And the beautiful thing is Christ actually addresses this in the last few verses. He says, and he said to them, verse 38, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they had found out and they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. What the disciples give to Christ here is not a lot. In comparison to the crowd that's standing in front of them, it's, it's almost laughable. But what they are able to give, Jesus is not only just able to use it, but multiply it and bless those who are all willing to receive it. And so how often do we have this mindset that when it comes to us stepping into a ministry, or when we have this idea of, well, how can I grow the kingdom? How can I do anything for God? We always tend to think of how little we have to offer. Right? I'm guilty of it. The amount of times I've thought to myself, well, there is nothing that I could bring to the table. I've even been so desperate to think, man, if I could just be like a social media influencer and have a blue tick, people might actually listen to me. You know, I'm actually reminded of a close friend when I was writing this, and his name is Jimmy Bartle. And uh, essentially, Jimmy used to ride professional motorbikes, and he had a close-knit circle of people who were professional in FMX, which is motorbikes, and BMX. And essentially, while at Bible College, him and another guy and a girl actually had this idea. And they thought, man, more than ever, our schools need Jesus. And so they're like, well, we don't really have much to offer, but we know people who can ride. So maybe if we start this little thing where we can put on like a BMX show within schools, we can sell it to the school as like this anti-bullying thing, but we'll proclaim the message of Jesus, right? And so like, we, we could get one or two writers. And so they started. They planted this thing called JC Epidemic. And in their first year, they did two whole shows, right? The second year, I think it went up to six. Within 10 years, they were touring Australia full-time with half pipes built on the back of trucks, not doing motorbike shows at schools. It was all BMX. But it got to a point where they were invited to the biggest Christian music festival in Australia, which was Easterfest at the time. And they had a permanent spot, and they were putting on full-time shows for these people. And from there, Jimmy went, I'm going to start a company called JC Clothing. And what I want to do is I want to do shirts, but I also want to do denim. I want to do jeans. And this led Jimmy to go over to Cambodia to source out how he could get denim made for his company, right? which all stemmed from this little idea. And while he was there, God opened up his eyes and showed him that there are women stuck within the sex trade industry over there, and they don't have a choice. They have to provide for their family, and so they have no other ways to make their needs met. And this broke Jimmy down. He's got two daughters and a wife. And so he comes back and he goes, I'm canning JC. I'm done with it. I'm starting a new company called Outland Denim, and my whole purpose is this. Every pair of jeans that we sell, 
is going to go straight to Cambodia and we're going to get a woman out of the sex industry. We're going to teach them a new skill on how to make jeans and we're going to pull them out. We're going to pay them a fair wage so they never have to go back. And this was the foundation of his business, which has been going strong for 10 years now to a point where they've actually just bought out another Australian denim company and it enables more women to get rescued. All of this started from one little idea of let's put on a BMX show. They were faithful with the little thing that they had. Look, if you don't know me, I'm actually more of a background person. Ask Scott. I, my biggest fear in church is 60-second meet and greet. It stresses me out. Once again, it's not because I don't love meeting people. I love you guys, and I'm, after this, please come and chat to me. But I freak out. I get anxiety, and I overthink absolutely everything. I sweat. And then so I'll chat to someone, and then once the little 60-second meet and greet's done, I forget everything that they've told me. And then I meet the same person three weeks later, and I'm like, are you new here? And they're like, no. <laughs> and it's, it's just the way I operate. When my wife and I started coming here two years ago, we conveniently had a little toddler, and it was great, because I got to spend time in the back room when the 60-second meet and greet had happened. And I would sit there, and as soon as it happened, I'd close the door and be like, going to look after this little one. And Scott would look at me, and I'm like, sorry, mate. It's just... I'm just more of a background person. And so when we came here, I was happy just being in the background. But after encouragement from people within the church to step out and actually serve, to be able to serve the community, I came to a point where I was like, you know what? I can play four chords on a guitar. For anyone that knows, that's like 99% of worship songs. <laughs> and, and encouragement from people like Ash, who was our worship leader at the time when I started, to Hanisi, our amazing worship leader now. They encouraged me to step out and actually serve. And I thought, why not? I may not be out in the street evangelising and laying hands on people, but every Sunday, once a month, I get to come to church and I get to lead people into a place of worship and I get to watch them worship a holy God and worship with them. And it all stemmed from me just utilising the little ability that I knew on God. Can I tell you something? What we deem as little things, in the hands of a sovereign God, are not little. And I think we really need to understand that. What we deem as little things in the hand of a sovereign and mighty God is anything but little. So what are your skills and what are your talents? Can you bake? I know people who bake think it's not a skill. Man, I love it. Do you understand the ability that you have to be able to bless people when you do things like bake? You can bless organisations that need food. You could step into any ministry and bless them with food and it helps. Do you know we have people that come to Alpha? And they just put their hand up to come and wash the dishes. And we look at that and we're like, is that it? Wash the dishes. But do you realise the, the, the impact that that actually has? What it means is that when they come and wash dishes, it allows the people who are running Alpha to be able to spend an extra, what, 40 minutes to an hour investing into newcomers that are coming to the church with questions. It allows the people upstairs who are running Alpha to proclaim the gospel. And it all can only happen because there are people who are willing to come in and go, ah, I'm just going to wash dishes. We all have gifts. And they're all different. And as minor as we think they are, like I said, in the hands of a sovereign God, he will be glorified. And so we just have to be willing to start and use what we actually have. And so as I come to an end, you need to understand that there's actually layers to this miracle that we've just walked through. That on one layer, we have this beautiful picture of a sovereign God, a compassionate God who not only feels for his children, 
that he provides, and not just in the physical, but spiritually. He is the only one that will ever be able to satisfy spiritually. And we see this littered throughout all of Scripture. And then on the other layer, he commands us to feed the world as believers, to feed the lost. He commands us to go and feed the lost. And if there is one thing that this world needs more than ever, they need to hear the gospel. And so what is the gospel? Simply put, we worship a holy and righteous and sovereign God. And he demands perfection. He demands purity. He demands holiness. He demands what we could never give him. But yet, for God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Meaning that he gave us his only begotten son, Christ Jesus, God in flesh, to come and live the life that we could never, live a life of perfection, live a life of holiness, live a life of purity, just a perfect life in unity with God which enables him to be able to go to the cross on our behalf. At the hands of human, he suffered. But what he truly bore on the cross is something that is so much deeper. He bore the full wrath of the Father, the full anger in which we were deserving. Jesus took it upon himself. And so when we repent and we put our faith and trust in Christ Jesus and his finished work on the cross, we ultimately get to stand before a holy and righteous God one day and be deemed as good enough. And we're not. But we're deemed as good enough because Christ Jesus has clothed us in his righteousness because he was good enough and he was perfect. And so I'm going to ask everyone to just bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're new and you're listening to this and you're like, you know what? I've, been, I've tried everything in this world to find satisfaction, to find fulfilment, and yet I still feel so lost. And you feel like there's a tugging in your heart. I'm not going to get you to come and stand up in front of people. But what I'm going to ask is, at the end of worship this morning, if you feel like that is you, and you feel like you either want to chat to someone or you want someone to pray for you, please come and stand down by at the cross over here. Pastor Scott, Pastor Dave, someone will be there to answer questions and to have a chat with you. I'll be down there as well. And we would love to pray with you. If you're in church and you've been coming to church for a long time and you still struggle with the thought of, oh, there is nothing that I can bring to the table. I, I don't know what it is. Can I encourage you this morning that whatever skills and talents that you have is good enough? And, and we would love to lift you up as a church. We would love to be able to pray for you and so if you're one of those people and you need comfort and you need to be built up and you would love to be prayed for in that area, once again, at the end of the service, please, please feel free to come down so we could lay hands and pray and chat with you. And so Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to a close and as we're about to step into a time of worship, we love you and we thank you. We thank you that you are sovereign over everything, Lord. We thank you, Father God, that you gave us your only Son, the only perfect one, to truly bear a punishment in which we deserved. And because of that, we get to stand in right standing relationship with you. And so we just pray over our church, Father, 
We pray over each and every single person within this place, whether serving or not, Lord, and we just thank you for them. And we thank you, Father God, Lord, that we don't do this on our own strength. We don't do this because we're anything special, but Father God, we do this through the work of you in us. And so we just want to give you all the glory this morning, and we just want to honour you. And so I pray, Father, as we begin to worship, that all our doubts, all our anxieties, all our worries would be just left at the feet of the cross. And we would come into a place where we would worship a holy and righteous triune God who loves us, who has compassion on us, and a love that extends even when we didn't love you. That you looked at us like we were sheep without a shepherd and you had compassion on us. And so, Father God, you are worthy. You're so, so worthy. As we spoke, as we sung those words this morning, you are holy, holy, holy. And you are worthy, worthy, worthy. So please stand as we join into a time of worship. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray you have a great week. Be blessed.